I tell people in the book to, you know, reflect on what you're good at. If you are not someone who loves being in a kitchen and cooking and, and offering food, like you have other skills, you have other assets and resources that you can put into helping someone and being there for them. Maybe you're a great note taker. Maybe, you know, you love animals and you're willing to walk the dog, but just be very in tune with your own personal process, whether that means that you have, you know, your own therapy and you talk about it there, or you practice meditation or yoga. It's really important that you are aware of yourself first and making sure that you get your needs met so that you can be there for this person that you care about through the long haul. Hello, and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. I have Allie Bird with me today. She is a speaker, a coach, and an author. Her new book titled Grief Ally, Helping People You Love Cope with Death, Loss, and Grief. And I'm so excited to have her on. We already warmed up our voices singing to each other right before we started recording. <laughs> so I already know Allie's uh, favorite uh, song to warm her voice up to. So um, I'm excited to get to know you so well, Allie. Oh, thank you so much, Kendra. I am so excited to be here. Yes, to sing to each other, to talk about anything. Yes. You know, it it just, it's always like good to break the ice and things. And it's, even though we're going to be talking about a heavy topic, right, which is the aspect of death and grief and how to be able to be an ally. And which, by the way, if I say ally instead of Allie, now you guys know why, because this play on words with her name and the name of her title of her book will get very confusing. But yeah, so we'll be talking about all things. But let's talk a little bit about you. Let's find out where is it that you live. I picked up on the accent, so let's share with the audience <laughs> where yes, you live. Yes, I, uh, I am Canadian and I live um, on Vancouver Island, which is on the, the west, west coast of Canada. Very wet, tropical rainforest, mountains, ocean. Yes, that's right. Is this where you grew up? Is this where you No, grew up? I actually grew up um, in Ontario outside of Toronto, um, quite rurally, um, actually. But yes. How long ago did here. you move to Vancouver? Yeah. When did you move? Uh, we, Will and I, my husband, um, moved out here in 2016. So, okay. so for about six years. Okay. So then 2016, you moved there. Were you were you already married at that time to to Will when you moved or was no, it no it it was uh no we had known each other for about two years at that point and uh, I wanted to go on an adventure and his work moved him out here and yeah the rest is history <laughs> would you please share a little bit about you and Will and how you met 
Yeah, because he um, is the reason you wrote this book. He so is, he is he 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 was the love of my life. He remains the love of my life. So we met in uh, 2014. I uh, was recently single, and I wanted to go on lots of dates. And um, instead, I I bumped into Will and went on lots of dates with him. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we. I always say that he he filled all the gaps that I never knew I had. Um, just had this zest for life that I hadn't witnessed in anyone, and it was very attractive. Um, his body was wicked as well, um, <laughs> and that's certainly something I appreciated. Um, but we really bonded over a love for adventure and outdoor sports. Um, so when he had the opportunity to to move out to the West Coast, I was like, I I love you enough to to tag along and let's let's do this thing. And uh, yeah, we moved to Vancouver Island and had this really beautiful, outdoorsy, rock climbing, mountain biking, hiking, swimming, uh, yeah, just really beautiful, adventurous lifestyle together. But that also uh, was what took him from me. So Will died in a hiking accident at the end of uh, 2019, completely unexpectedly. Um, and that has sent me on this wild ride that, that is grief and living with, uh, unexpected loss. Yeah. You did mention the, the hiking, but I wasn't sure like what it was. So he was by himself when he went he hiking. Was, he was with or, a friend. He was with a friend. Okay. Um, but I wasn't there. No. Here you are. Your life just changed drastically. 2019, the love of your life now not by your side in the same way. Yeah. And now you're having to navigate life. Your life just kind of started to take different turns. What were you what were you doing prior to that like in terms of studies and how did it now shift for you now even now studying psychology <laughs> in the aspect of counseling and being able to yeah. also coach people through grief therapy? Yeah, so I I have a an earlier degree in um social planning and community development. So I was in that world. I've always been very interested in people and helping people make the most of the lives that they have. Social justice, human rights. I'm all about it. Um so I was working on kind of like a community development level. And then when we moved out here, I started to get into coaching. So I was working with young people and helping them navigate life transitions, whether that was switching jobs, big moves. I know, so strange. So um, already you were in the I life transition space. That is yes, crazy. Yes. Like you saw my mouth of... like as it <laughs> yeah. went like Your that. The, dropped. That it's yeah. like, what? Yeah. And I think... You know, I, I didn't really have a name for it uh, at the time, but after Will's death, being kind of thrown into this world of grief, all of a sudden having the language for what my clients were experiencing prior to that, um, although it wasn't death-related loss, there was grief in those, in those situations and those changes that they were experiencing, and as I was having my own grief experience, um, 
I discovered that I was a very like cognitive griever. Like I was, it was happening more in my brain than my body through like an emotional expression. I was just like consumed with like, and what brought me relief is like, what is happening to me? You like, needed to understand the technicality of everything yes, that was the going science on in your mind, and the biology. Interesting. Yes. So as I was doing that, I was like, oh, this, this is, this is fascinating to me. Um, and it's kind of sent me down a path of, of psychology, um, which is where I am now studying counseling psychology, hoping to work um, as a grief therapist uh, in the near future and more specialized in like traumatic bereavement, which was my experience. But then also I am a problem solving kind of griever. And I noticed that there wasn't a resource for people who wanted to show up and help me. I have the smartest, most brilliant friends in the world, and there wasn't a go-to resource for them. They were having to mine all these other books and articles and blogs that were written for people like me at the, you know, the epicenter of something tragic. Whereas like I didn't have the 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 full brain capacity to kind of dive into that and then push that information outwards towards them and be like, this is what I need you to do. And this is how I need you to act. And this is what I need you to say. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to build something for them based on our own experience, which I had a really positive, like, you know, it was still terrible, but my friends never, never made me feel alienated or misunderstood or abandoned. They were right there making mistakes despite being afraid so I took everything that we kind of learned as well as this, what is happening in my brain, in my body, culturally, psychologically, and built this tool, which has become Grief Ally, my book. And I'm hoping that other people can can have the kind of experience that that I have had in my grief. Okay. Not that it's not terrible and painful, but it's just a little, a little bit better. Um, you know, you, yeah. you explained it, you summed it up so well. And what you explained in terms of the mental capacity of someone that's grieving of how, how were you going to be able to tell them what it is you needed? That is so important because a lot of times, for example, even this podcast is a tool, right? But yes, can someone that's in that moment of grief would listening to something be the right tool for them in that moment? Would reading something be the right tool for them in that moment? That's on that topic, right? Of grief and feeling yes. that companionship. We don't know. Everybody's different into what it is that they can assimilate, but what our mind is able to capture in moments like that of trauma and when it's just so scattered brain with with just yes. so much, there's so much going on in, in that, not only emotionally, but mentally with everything that's changed in someone's life, particularly in, in also in the case of your life partner, there's so many yeah. things you have to decide, closing bank accounts, this X, Y, Z, all these things that how were they, would there be room to then also, here's a black, like you said, here's a blog <laughs> about how you can tell me if I want a chicken casserole or lasagna for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. You know, so that is wonderful that now where you're kind of in in another space in your life, you're able to now create this resource for for others. So when did the writing process start? So the writing started very very early, like literally like 
day one after Will died, um, someone told me, a, a, a dear friend who unfortunately has also um, passed away um, shortly after Will did, um, which was crazy. Wow. Um, that, that's a lot. She, in, yeah. Yeah. She came mm. over um, right after she got the news and she's like, they're, they're gone, but you can still, you can still talk to them and you can write to them. And I was like, oh, okay. So like literally like that day, like I went, I went to my bedroom and I, I just like, I started writing and it was more of like free flow journaling, but journaling became kind of like a lifeline for me, um, through those early, early days. And, um, so Will died at the end of November and by the end of February, I was like, I think I, I think I have an idea and like, I'm feeling very called to like keep writing, but doing it in a, in a more targeted targeted way. And I, I think I, I think I have a book idea. So the, the book idea didn't become fully formed until probably like, I'd say like six months, eight months after Will died, but it, it happened very, very quickly. And yeah, I'll just reiterate that. Yeah, it has been a lifeline. It is what the thing that has kind of been like, if I can, I keep chipping away at it um, because it brings me joy. When it didn't bring me joy, I put it down and like let it breathe a little bit. But it was also like this kind of space that I carved out in my life where I, it was time on my own, but it was also time that I spent with Will and our memories. And it was a way of kind of keeping, keeping that relationship growing rather than exclusively being something stagnant in the past that happened to me. It was, we were building this thing together from a really tragic place, but I, I really enjoyed that. And I still, I still in, enjoy being able to talk about it because it is part of like the legacy of what we got to experience together. I love that because you touched on the fact of continuing this relationship and, yeah, and uh, just how it is for you was through writing and continuing this bond and that is something that for a lot of people that have someone that's died or transitioned or however we want to call this mm-hmm. other, you know, change of reality that helps us, <laughs> helps us keep on really like is yeah. having that connection and that it doesn't necessarily mean the end. It's just different. So you used yeah. writing as that way of continuing your your relationship with Will. So beautiful. The, the, something that came to mind as you were talking and how writing you, you know, how writing was something that came naturally. And we were talking earlier about music. Mm. Can you tap into how the arts and how expression, not only for you, but also as you've coached other people that have gone through transitions have played a part in a person's journey and now that you're studying psychology what 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 have you learned about that aspect of expressing pain through the artistic way and that kind of navigating it that way how that Mm. helps us in that journey it's a loaded question that's that's a lot of a lot of points um I I will start with take um, whatever chunk out of it take any (laughs) little chunk of it yeah um I, I'll I'll start just from my own personal experience that uh, 
I have never experienced such wild creativity as I have in the last three and a half years that Will has died through writing, through like fine arts. I'm making like big mixed media pieces. I'm like doodling and drawing and coloring. I, I colored so hard that I gave myself carpal tunnel in my hand um, after he died. And I think <clears throat> uh, grief, grief is energy. If we look at it, it is the energy that is created when attachment changes. And that energy needs to be expressed, whether it is expressed through, you know, emotion or through creation or through doing. And art is one of those really wild tools that offers expression in so many like emotional ways, um, in cognitive ways, like, like from like planning, planning the project to like free flow, like doing things with your hands. It's just a great way to like tap into both like your head and your heart and move through things that are confusing, difficult, joyous. Um, I think art, art is just something that's, that's, that's so powerful. And, Personally, I don't actually have a lot of experience like in the psychology of art, but I can only imagine what the literature says. Um, I can only speak to my own personal experience and then also speaking with other people who are expressing their 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 pain and their love um, through art as something very, very effective. When you said about the fu- the part about the last three years, your creativity just kind of bursting, I, I was like, you saw my expression because I feel <laughs> that grief opens up this window of seeing life just differently. It's as if you put on these glasses and you see pain more, you see beauty more. Uh, Like when I'd go out on walks of nature, I'm like, wow, the sky is so blue. Like, Like you notice things that your perception of life is just different. So at yes. least let me just put it again, like you said it in my own experience. That's what I, I have witnessed personally in my, in my grief journey. And as you're sharing that the same, like the arts, I remember even in, in middle school, heartbreak, right? Like you're talking about mm. life transitions, heartbreak or things like that. That was grief. That's when I would write poems, songs, yeah. all these things were always in these moments of, 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 of grief. Yeah. So most songs are about heartbreak, yeah. right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So right. It's, and it's, I think I think for me too, it was like a, a the the art that I've created, at least at a like a like a tangible art. And I don't I don't mean like the the book itself or in writing. I mean more of like like these like mixed media media pieces. It's media always media. trying to like demonstrate what what I am feeling. Like I'm trying to like paint a picture of what this feeling is. I'm trying the words to like don't give it suffice. some sort of representation. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's so hard um, to put it into words, right? Something. So then you're like, yes. how, how do I get this? Give out? me other I love. Yeah. Yes. I love how you said the energy, you know, I've heard, you know, uh, it was uh, Andrew Garfield once in an interview oh, talking about his mom yes. dying, how he said yes. grief is love, you know? So 
that you just didn't get to express, you know, and so how you mm-hmm. talk about it in that energy, it's, we know, love is energy, grief is energy. So it's just that way of expressing. And so it's beautiful. Okay. Now let's talk about <laughs> the ways in which someone can be an ally and how in your journey, then you started then writing this book as part of your process and with this idea and what your friends had done to help you in your your journey what is it what let's talk what is a grief ally yeah so i'd say like a grief a grief ally is someone who respects your unique experience of grief they offer unconditional love and empowerment so that you can move through grief in really the kind of easiest way possible in a nutshell that's a grief ally and it's a a hard job it's not someone something that anyone ever wishes to be in but the reality is that one of the only guarantees in life that we have is that you will die people die um and so it's really important that we equip ourselves with the tools that will enable us to to help others when they inevitably experience grief. Mm-hmm. And one of the chapters you have is regarding taking care of yours in order to take care of someone. I'm not saying the exact name of the, of the chapter, but it was in order to take <laughs> okay. care of someone else, you need to be able to also take care of yourself in that, in that yes. process. So let's talk about the importance of self-care as you're also giving toward to others in their journey. And you, you mentioned about life transitions as you yourself having yes. been a coach, this goes for anything. If someone, you can be a grief ally if somebody's going through a divorce, if someone's going through, uh, there's many ways in which you're going to be there for someone. If their children left for college and yes. they're <laughs> home alone now and they're having yeah. to deal with that transition, you will be a grief ally for that person. So let's talk about the part of taking care of ourselves as we help someone navigate their grief. Yeah. Um, so in, in the book, Grief Ally, um, every chapter starts with a, a guiding promise. In the self-help chapter, it, the promise is, I promise to take good care of myself so that I can take good care of you. And what that really means is, and what you have to understand about grief is that it is not a short-term process. It is a long haul. And the reality is that you're always kind of going to feel something about a loss and taking care of yourself is important because this is an endurance sport. (laughs) This isn't a sprint. And if you are not taking care of yourself, you will burn out. You will not be able to finish this race. And the reality is that your, your person, this person that you want to show up for needs you to be there through the long haul. It's not just the bring the lasagna after the funeral, send a card, send flowers, and then, you know, bing, bang, we're done. It's much more emotionally intimate um, and being present to a lot of pain and suffering possibly. And that's a difficult position to be in. So it's very important that you are aware of your own needs, aware of your own thoughts and feelings, and that you are seeking help when you need it. Um, so you can't be everything for someone. I tell people in the book to, you know, reflect on what you're good at, 
if you are not someone who loves being in a kitchen and cooking and and offering food like you have other skills you have other assets and resources that you can put into helping someone and being there for them maybe you're a great note taker maybe you know you love animals and you're willing to walk the dog but just be very in tune with your own personal process whether that means that you have you know your own therapy and you talk about it there or you practice meditation or yoga it's really important that you are aware of yourself first and making sure that you get your needs met so that you can be there for this person that you care about through the long haul. It is so valuable, everything you said, because you mentioned different ways in which someone can be an ally. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the one to listen to everything that they're going through emotionally. It could be that yeah. the way that you are able to show up is like you said, white be walking their dogs or any other way. Like knowing your own strengths is mm-hmm. important. And and in that process, when you're offering to the, the person that's grieving, say, listen, I I can come Tuesdays and Wednesdays, and these are the things I'm really good at and can help you with. I'm great at tidying up. Do you have any closets I can kind of go through or do you have, right? Like, or, or I'm yeah. great at walking the dog, something specific. And I've learned that in this process of interviewing people because I used to do the blanket thing. It was like, anything you need, I'm here. But just like you said, with a grief brain, yeah. you don't even know what you need. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And the, I think that it's important to also be like mindful of the the timeline as well. And it's not it's not just you know that first first few weeks. Like people, especially with a traumatic loss, like shock is ve- is a very real thing. I didn't really feel anything until six weeks after Will died, and at that point, that's when all I was having this really intense like emotional waves. But by that point, the support had kind of weaned a little bit. And then I had to be more proactive in getting the help that I needed. Whereas if people understood that, you know, grief is is a long haul, that if someone doesn't take you up on your offer, you know, week one, week two, that doesn't mean that they won't need it. Like follow up month two, month three, um, and see if you can offer support then. And what would be great, what would be a good way of following up? Let's say month two, would you send a text? Let's give some quick little Mm -hmm. tips that someone can do. Like, would you send a text saying, hey, checking in on you, just letting you know I'm thinking of you? Or like, what would be some ways in which someone could reach out to check in? Absolutely. I'll preface this with saying, Do not ask a specific question unless you have the capacity to be present with that person as they answer your question. So I think a lot of people, you know, reach out and be like, hey, how are you? They're not okay. Let's just assume off the bat, they are not okay. And to assume that they will say they are okay uh, is not fair. But also if they tell you their real feelings, like you have to be prepared to Uh, hear their real feelings. Um, There were a couple of circumstances where people would reach out to me and be like, hey, how are you? And then I would answer their question honestly. And then they wouldn't respond for, you know, 24 hours, 48 hours. They wouldn't know what to do. 
Yeah, with that exactly. Like, I feel like the world is swallowing me whole, and then exactly, and that will just silence end. them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So when we're reaching out, if you are going to ask the question, just be prepared. Like that's part of that self care process, right? Like, be mindful that you are entering this situation where the landscape is unstable and you don't know what you're going to expect. So if you are aware of that, that helps just off the bat, and then. Definitely like say like you can reiterate the message that you sent at like week one, week two being like, Hey, I'm still thinking about you. My offer of coming to help you tidy up on Tuesdays and Wednesdays still stands. Um, This offer is always open. Like, please let me know if I can help now. And is it okay? Or, Or if they say yes or no, maybe they say no, say, is it okay if I check in? in another month. I think that's, it's really important to be like upfront and to take the, take the responsibility off the shoulders of the person who is at the, you know, that you're, that you're trying to care for giving them the opportunity to reach out. Sure. But also say like, here is what I am willing to do for you. And here is the timeline that I am willing to do it. I think a lot of you hear the message, like, you know, don't disappear as a, as a grief ally and someone in a support role, like don't disappear. But I think people have this idea that this timeline of grief is so short that they message like, you know, every two or three days for the first month. And then if the person that they're trying to help doesn't respond or isn't like taking advantage of their offers that like they're doing okay. And I would argue that the complete opposite is probably true. Like in that first month, they are probably just trying to like stay alive, literally. And don't disappear. Like if they're not responding to you, maybe it's just the timeline that's wrong. It's not your offering. It's not you. It's literally- yeah, don't like take things personally. Doing, exactly. They are doing the personally. best they can. <laughs> they are doing the best they can with the resources that they have at that moment. So like just- revisit it a month down the road, two months, like even a year. I don't think like there is never a wrong time to reach out to someone and, and offer, offer support in whatever capacity that you have it. The grief doesn't go away. It's always there. There are always things that are going to be hard. Um, and acknowledging the loss, acknowledging how hard things can be is, can be really, really powerful for someone who feels as though their loss is being forgotten. Because the loss being forgotten can make them feel as if their person has been being is being forgotten as well. Exactly. Yeah. I have like a great story. Um, so this uh, last fall was the three-year anniversary of, of Will's death. And uh, I spent a month in Palm Springs and I invited some people. We called it grief camp because November is traditionally a, a hard month for me. And uh, Will was a, a member of the Canadian Forces. So my friend and I, we went to the Veterans Day Parade in downtown Palm Springs. And uh, she didn't know Will very well. Um, but we watched the parade because I wanted to watch the parade and it was a lovely like extension of like her being like, how can I support you, um, in this tough month? And then like, as we were walking back to the car, she's like, oh, what do you, like, what would Will think of this parade? And like, just that like simple question 
was like the one of my greatest fears is that like I am going to have to be the person who brings him up in conversation for the rest of my life. And the fact that she brought him up and the fact that she was willing to have a conversation about this day and him and how it impacted me was huge. Like literally like that simple question and the few sentences that followed, like that a, like a simple question was so, so meaningful. And it really just, just brought me comfort and, and made that situation like feel so much more, so much more ease in that because I wasn't the one carrying my loss. You know, it was, she helped me carry it in that moment. Hmm. Now, what would Will have thought? Now I wanted to know the answer. What did you answer? What would he have thought of that, of that of parade? The parade? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I to know. be honest, I don't think he would have liked it very much. <laughs> Um, so in, in the States you have, um, Veterans Day, but in Canada we have Remembrance Day and the vibe of them is, is very, very day? different. Is no, it it's on the same day. November? Okay. Okay. No, it's November, November 11th. 11th. Yeah. Yeah. November 11th. Um, in Canada, it's a very like solemn, quiet morning. There are moments of silence. Names are read out. The last call is played on a trumpet and then everybody then, then it becomes a party. Like if you are a person who wears a uniform, it was like Will's favorite day. Uh, you just go out and get drunk and reminisce about like good times um, at the Legion. Veterans Day in the States is, is like starts as a celebration of like your soldiers and your veterans. And it's just like the vibe was different. I think Will, Will liked the somberness and the, that level of like respect, respect. and recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was interesting to to now have experienced both. <laughs> but yeah, the the part of remembering the you know memories, I tend to do that with my kids if they they remember anything of their grandmother, my mom. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh, what is like a memory that you remember? Like, what is something? Because what is something you remember that you used to do with her, or you know, things like that, just to keep it in the forefront of their mind, so that yeah, those memories don't don't go away. I want to ask you about a memory. Tell us about one of your adventures with Will. What was one of those things that you guys tried together that you, that you, yeah, your thrill seeker, adventurous, Mm. uh, partner and you tried. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, (laughs) it's a great question. Uh, or which one's one that keeps coming up on your mind, like when you're mm. thinking of your memories of the things that you guys did? There was one um, mountain that we were we were trying to climb and uh, we had tried it in uh, in August and didn't have time to, to make it to the summit. We had to turn around. And so we tried it again in September and we pulled up to the to the trailhead and I'm like getting my shoes on and Will has like opened the trunk of the car and he's like, oh no. And I was like, what? And he's like, I forgot my hiking boots. And I was like, oh. oh. And I, I'm like, oh, we're going to have to turn around. Like, we'll just go home. We'll try again another day. And he's like, no. He's like, we are going to, we are going to do this. And I'm like, okay. And he's wearing like dad sandals, like, <laughs> you know, like the Tevas with the Velcro. Um, And he's like, no, I'll just wear these. And I'm like, yeah. It's like, no, we're going to do this. Um, so he, 
he puts he puts his socks on, puts on his tivas. Um, Real and we, dad look there. That oh was- yeah, classic, <laughs> classic dad. Um, and uh, we we um, it was a journey of like we hiked to a certain spot, we like camped, we and then leave our stuff, summit, come back, collect our stuff, and then head back to the car. And uh, we summited the peak at. I think it was like 8, 8 a.m. like the next day. And he's like capturing this video. He's like, check out my feet. <laughs> and he did it. He climbed it in dad sandals. Um, his calves were destroyed um, for days afterwards. But uh, yeah, he was it's so stiff, and- right? It's stiff. There's no. Well, but, it's, it's right? stiff, Those- but it also, it doesn't have um, like a hiking boot has more ankle stability. So yes, if you're carrying yes. a pack on your, on your back and the ground underneath you is, is unstable, that, that ankle stability in a hiking boot is much more useful than having to use all your stabilizer muscles <laughs> in your lower limbs. Um, but he was determined and, and we made it and uh, yeah, that was the kind of um, go get him attitude that he had, like very that, little would stop him. That's from the spark the that attracted you. That's what yes, you were like, exactly. so zest for life type of thing. Exactly. Now, yes. How are hikes for you now? What do hikes represent for you now? And is, yeah, what yeah, are they for you now? And question. how are they, how are they been part of your journey of your grief journey? Mm-hmm. I, uh, um, it's funny because people early in your grief will be like, oh, go, go for a walk, go, go cry at the trees. Like they don't, they don't care if you're crying. And to be very honest, like it did not feel safe, um, that was just- to be outside in like big nature for two and a half years, honestly. And, uh, it's still, I haven't done anything big like that I don't I don't know if I will again to be very honest like that was the thing that that Will and I really really bonded over and to to do it to do it alone or to do it with someone else um just doesn't feel right right now and that's kind of been my 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 go-to decision making process through all of this like if it if it doesn't feel good don't don't do it unless you like really really have to only recently, um, when I was in the desert in the fall, um, I was able to do some hikes, but I just feel that like the landscape is completely different. Um, it's not a place that Will and I visited together. So it was something that I was able to do and make it, make it my own. I also have a dog now, which is funny because Will would have never let me have a dog. Um, <laughs> really? I, I was already was even a- picturing, I was already even picturing you guys having dogs because a lot of outdoor seat. Yes. I have two myself, but it's like, you know, that have these companions that go on them with, on their walks and their treks. And oh, so now you have. No, because we also, we enjoy traveling a lot as well. And it was harder Mm -hmm. to travel when um, you have a a pup. Absolutely. Uh, But no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a a wonderful sheep doodle now who you know, very much fills many of the the needs that I have for, for physical touch. Huge. They're the best. They're the best companions for grief. Oh, exactly. And she's also the, like, when I'm outside, if I, 
um, I forget the, there's a psychological term for it, but as I'm out there and I am talking to her about, you know, oh, be careful here. Like, okay, just step up here. Like, oh, just a little further. Like there it's, it's kind of like a, I'm talking to myself, but it, I feel less crazy because I'm talking to my dog. Of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. And yeah. I've got doodles too. I have two doodles, not cheap oh. doodles, but I have two doodles too. Yeah. That's, they're just. They're so special. My my well, my old my six year old. She she was really because I got her right. I say I, but we. It's a family yeah. dog. But yeah, I say I. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was my mom's birthday. That was our pickup. That was the day to pick mm. her up. It was my mom's, and it was the first birthday since my mom had passed. So two months after my mom died, that was our pickup day for for Evie. So she was literally like my little therapy dog, you know, from there. Yeah. Like, yeah. So that's that's so uh, funny that you mentioned that because uh, Renegade, Renegade is my dog's name. Renegade. Um, I. <laughs> so it was peak COVID. So puppies were very expensive, and. Uh, I had this, I, so I'd made it a year with Will being gone and I, I have a cat as well. And the cat was so sweet, but it was a, a big workload for my sweet little cat. So I finally decided like, okay, I'm, I'm going to get a dog. I'm going to do this. But it was also a big, uh, you know, it's a big commitment to get a puppy. Mm-hmm. And so my birthday is in January. I'm like, I will put my name on a wait list for my birthday as a birthday gift to myself. If I end up not getting a puppy, it was a birthday gift. No worries. I can just let those, those funds go. Um, but the night before my birthday, I'm like looking for like the right breeder. One of them just happens to have one puppy left. And they're like, you can pick the puppy up on Valentine's Day. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I was not a Valentine's Day person. Will Will brought me into the Valentine's world. He always spoiled <laughs> me. He was so, so generous and so sweet. Um, and I was like, oh my goodness. And he's his, his birthday is also the week of Valentine's Day. So it was just like you know what, the, the stars are aligning, like this puppy is, is, is meant to be with me. And it's, it's probably one of the best decisions that, that I ever made, um, in terms of my own, um, mental health is, yeah, she's just the best. Oh, it's, it's a renegade. I like, it's a girl. She has a really powerful name, renegade. (laughs) She does. Yes. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. The, yeah, the process of, of grief, as you were talking about your hikes, I I also just thought of the trauma that could be associated as well with the part of hiking, too. Mm-hmm. If that ended up, you know, playing a part, not only because you would used to hike with him, but if that's what the way that his life ended, I would assume that that could, and that we shouldn't make assumptions, but that that could be a big part of that too, because trauma can stay with us without even knowing. And yes. I recently was watching a, a TV show that uh, had to do with an airplane accident and survival. It's like a new thing. If anybody wants to cry a lot, go watch, watch Dear Edward on Apple. TV. Oh, I've read the book. Uh, I've read oh the book. my gosh. Yeah. So I had friends that died in an airplane accident in 20, um, 1996, 95, sorry, my oh. sister died in 1996, 95. And so I did not, first episode of that, and I'm sitting here, my husband's kind of like, what is going on? And I'm just bawling. And I was like, I did not realize how much I still have in in me yeah. from that. So 
Yeah. The hiking component in your trauma Mm -hmm. that could tie in as well, right? 100%. And I'm not saying that it, it, like I, early on, I was like adamant that like hiking still had to be part of my life. And I, I did the, like the EMDR therapy to like, Uh you know, move through some things. Reprogram Um, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And because I, I haven't done anything of that caliber yet, it hasn't come up, but I've kind of settled into like the, the mindset that like, I don't have to do it if I don't want to. And I think early on, I, I had this mindset that like, I had to do it, that like, that would be the only way of like maintaining a connection with Will and that Will would want me to continue like doing these big hikes. And like, I have no doubt that he would probably want me to do those things, but also Will is not the boss of my grief and Will doesn't know what it's like to live in a reality where he doesn't exist. So I get to make the rules here. And if I want to do that hike one day, I will put in the work to to make it happen. But right now I don't have to do that if I don't want to. You touched on something there regarding the having to, or these expectations that we put on ourselves based on what either others, (laughs) others tell Mm -hmm. us, Oh, but he wouldn't want you to be sad. He wouldn't want you to be. So let's go into a little bit about that aspect of the mistakes as a grief ally that we might do, which might come into mm-hmm. these kind of things that we might say yeah. and how it's, how we're not superheroes, as you say, we're, we're so we're going yeah, to we're make mistakes beings. when we're, we're human yeah. beings, we're, we're going to make mistakes as we're supporting someone. We might say things that would not be the right things to say, but how we can still dust off and carry on in that, in that allyship. How does it say allyship? Allyship. Allyship. I'm sorry. I've, I've created some kind of I'm like, like, what is it? Allyship. Thank you. I'm like, wait, how do I say that? Allyship. How? So let's, let's uh, share with us about that for our listeners, please. Yeah. So I think, and I teach this in the book, the, the important thing to remember is that if you are willing to show up as a grief ally, you will make mistakes. There is no getting around it. Grief is too unique to every individual that even if you have been in a grief support role before, like you will not be able to apply the same lessons to this new person that you are trying to support. And if, so I say like, let's change up the mindset. Like if you are not making mistakes, that means you are not doing grief allyship right. It means that you are not close enough. But if you are close and you are making mistakes, you are doing grief allyship right. And the great thing about making mistakes is that they can be recovered from if you have like a strategic plan for how to do that. And I teach that in the book about how to recover from those mistakes. Um, First thing is like, get off the shame and blame emotional roller coaster that that happens um, when we do make mistakes. Um, whether you do that with like an affirmation that's like simple as like, I am here because I care and I make mistakes and that's okay. Or you can talk to somebody else and just be like, oh my gosh, I did this thing and I can't believe I did it and I just need to talk about it. Um, so first do that. Second, circle back. Circle back to the person, which takes some courage, um, but say like, hey, I'm like, feeling weird about when I did this or I said this. 
Um, did it feel weird, like an uncomfortable for you too? And they, if you have followed the steps in the book about empowering the person to, to do what it is that is best for them in their grief, if you are respecting their grief journey, if you are loving them unconditionally and they know all those things, like hopefully they have enough courage themselves to be like, yeah, yeah, that did make me, make me feel a little bit, um, uncomfortable. And then you just apologize. You know, there are different ways to apologize, but you know, at a, like, it's really, really simple. Just be like, yeah, I, I made a mistake and I'm, I'm sorry. And I all up for that and, and I'll learn from this. And then you can kind of both go on, on your way. And I think people get caught up in the, the misconception that if you make a mistake, you will be rejected. And I, I believe that the, the reality is the complete opposite that when you own up to making mistakes and you apologize for them, that you're actually like creating a stronger bond um, with that person that you're trying to support because you have more of like an open, open and honest relationship. And that's kind of what we're all striving for <laughs> as human beings. Don't be afraid to make mistakes and know that you can recover from them. And it's not the end of the world. It's not going to end your relationship with that person. You have to really, really, really screw up to, to be rejected. I really don't think that's going to happen if you, if you follow those steps. Those are awesome because it is so true. A lot of times we don't now that takes being intuitive too to be able to know and read a situation to know that you might've made a mistake because that's, yes, that's one thing. Too, and I'll, I'll you add might that not know. <laughs> you, it's true. You might not know, but I think also if you are, practicing your own self-care, which is step number one as a grief ally, right? Like being self-aware of what is happening like within your body, you know when it, and it's, it doesn't have to be like a blatant, like, oh, it was very obvious that I screwed up. Like it just has to feel like a little bit uncomfortable and be like, mm-hmm. oh, mm, mm, that, that was, didn't that was feel a little right. weird. Yeah. That was a little weird. <laughs> I'm a little bit, yeah, I'm awkward. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and like when, when you see the reaction or how you, you felt, or when you're sensing the reaction of the person you're supporting that it just, wait, she, she didn't quite respond right. I, maybe that was not the right thing to say Yeah, and owning up and to it, it instead of sweeping simple. it under the rug. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like I have, a, you know, my best friend like sent me like an Instagram account, like probably like around like month five or six. And she's like, oh, I found this widowed widow's Instagram account. What do you think? And I'm like, Mm-mm-mm. and she's like, oh, you didn't like it? And I was like, no. She's like, oh, okay, sorry. My bad. <laughs> won't happen again. I won't send you any more. And I'm like, cool, thanks. And we, we're cool. We're good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, you know, the there are all, there are so many like micro moments for learning what someone, what it will be useful to someone, um, in their Mm. grief. It's just a matter of, of being willing to listen and to watch for those things as well. You've given so (laughs) many, so many different tips and insights. And thank you also for sharing your own story. I, think that really the listeners are going to be able to relate to you and be able to grab this book and know that this is coming from someone who had this happen to them and what really helped 
you. So I appreciate you so much, Allie, for, for sharing that. Allie, is there anything I have not asked you that you'd want to make sure the listeners know? And we'll also, then afterwards, we'll say how they can grab the, the book. So, but anything that you want to leave for the listeners? I think it's really important uh, that folks know that in grief, you know, there's a lot of emotions running high constantly. And I think the best, the best thing that anybody can do, whether it's a person who is grieving in the midst of their grief or someone in a grief ally role is just, let's just all work from the same assumption that people are doing the best that they can with the resources that they have. Nothing out there is, is malicious or in attempt to really hurt someone else. We are all just doing our best with some imaginable uh, circumstances. Let's just all be uh, be really kind to one another. <laughs> Thank you so much. Allie, let's talk about how people can get your book and who should get your book. I think everybody yeah. should because, as you said, everybody's <laughs> going to have to support someone in their grief journey. So how can they get it? And yeah, let's, I'll yeah. make sure to include that in the show notes. Beautiful. So the book is called Grief Ally, Helping People You Love Cope With Death, Loss, and Grief. And you can buy it wherever you want to buy your books. Um, it's available in paperback um, as an ebook and an audiobook. So in any format that you want to take in that information, it's good for when you know you get the news that something bad has happened, but it would also be a great book just to have on your shelf for when that moment does come. Um, and if you want to connect with me, you can find me um, on my website, alleybird.com or on social media at the Alleybird. Thank you once again. This was Allie Bird with us on the podcast. Grateful for you. Grateful for Will for being also in your life and inspiring now this artistic <laughs> expression in you to now have a tool for others to help them in their own journey as they become allies of others that have dealt with their own grief. So thank you. Thank you, Kendra. It was lovely to chat with you. Thank you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way, to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.